Hey. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. Let's have an unstructured talk about conference talks and specifically like prepping to give conference talks because you know that I have a little bit of a- almost anxiety, I guess, about writing proposals and submitting them because I feel like I'm never going to get accepted or what do I know or that kind of thing. So your your fear of like your fear of like getting rejected? I think maybe, which is really funny. I don't have a fear of failure, but being rejected is one of those things that I guess it bothers me a little bit. It might yeah. also be because you literally never get any feedback, which sucks. Yeah, there are a few conferences. Conferences nowadays, a lot of them have been asking, like, if if you wait, they'll say, wait a few weeks. And, and if you want feedback, just email us and we'll ask you why. So I've done that a few times. Um, but honestly, dude, like I have a Trello board that keeps track, like, I don't know how to get over that, but you just have to get over that because you're going to get rejected no matter how good you are or, or how, how poor you you are. Like I submitted to, I think, uh, I think there's like 50 something cards in my rejected and probably about 10 or 15 approved from last year, from this year. That's That's a really good acceptance percentage. Yeah. There's actually one, two, three. I did say no to four four conferences last year. Gotcha. No, no, no year. This year and last year. Is it because you like double booked or double booked? One was because one was in Melbourne, Australia. And they, they said I could, they accepted me like two weeks before the conference started. Oh, I was like, there's no way I'm going to Australia in two weeks. Yeah. Just, just other stuff. Um, code beam. I had to say no to, which is a bummer. Yeah, that is a super bummer, too, because I was like, that's the biggest Elixir conference. I know. I'm going to resubmit to that this year. So, yeah. So, anyway, I was just saying, you're like, yeah, you're just going to get rejected, man. <laughs> like, it's nothing personal. Also, I don't, like, to me, when I think about that, like, there's no way, if I was running a conference, like, I could give every talk submission the, yeah. the attention and credit that it deserved exactly. in order to know. Yeah, so... And the research, like, so some of these are just, you know, by luck, you know, so. I think there's also a skill to writing the abstract yes. that I don't think I have. For yet. sure. I don't have like, that either. I haven't done it enough times to, re- well, see, I would think you maybe do, because as far as I know, most of the time it's like people for every 10 submissions they make, they get like one accepted. And so if you spoke at 15 and d- didn't speak at, you know, 50, then that means that you're you're batting more like 200 instead of 100. I think I'm good at writing the title of the talk, not mm-hmm. the abstract. And I think the title of the talk is more important than the abstract, obviously, because I think people see that. If you just put an introduction to React Native, uh, uh-huh. that's li- less likely to get picked than, you know. Let me come up with it. Like, I'm going to pitch you my talk idea and you yep. critique me on some of the things. Okay. Okay, cool. So I was thinking about submitting to RubyConf Australia. Uh, yep, and specifically, I want to, I'm just spitballing like titles of a talk right now. Um, I want the title to be like, deploying your Ruby app doesn't have to be scary. And you're kind of my target audience for this because you don't do a lot of like deployment stuff on your own. Uh, you've used Heroku historically a lot in the past for Ruby apps. Yep. And I kind of want to show the alternatives to that or like what it takes if you're working on like a small application and you still want to get more performance out of the five bucks a month you want to spend, what it looks like if you want to have, you know, continuous deployment with like rolling restarts and and the things you need for a more production ready application and going from there. I, um, okay. 
You ready? <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, so a few things. Uh, the title, I would actually go. So the reason I use Heroku is not because it's scary. The uh -huh. reason I use Heroku is because it's easy. Uh, it's yeah. easy. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to think about it. So if it was like a talk about like, you could have all the benefits, not all the benefits, but you could have, you could deploy without spending a lot of time for maintenance or, you know, if mm -hmm. it was around that, that would be, um, more useful to me. Oh, and that's, that's really the target. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Like, so I wouldn't say like, it's scary. I would actually, for your title, I would either use like actual, like say Heroku, like, you know, you don't always have to go with Heroku, you know, colon, mm -hmm. you know, learn how to deploy your apps with the benefits that you get from pass or something. You know, I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would lean less towards the scary angle and more towards the, uh, convenience angle. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause that's really the thing. And I love Heroku for what it is, but I think, well, it's expensive as shit too. It is, yeah, that's the problem is it's like, it's really low value for your dollar, right? All um, they have nailed up is the convenience factor. I wouldn't say that in the beginning. Like I will spend $7 all day long on some piece of shit thing, but like Tatsu, I spend almost 500 bucks a month on it. Which is insane. I, I am, I don't know what Tatsu scaled up to now, but I'm willing to bet you could get the exact same performance, if not better performance, spending $20 cool. besides email delivery stuff. That's like, uh, working, you know, that, that gets a little bit weird. Cause that's like transactional, but yeah, but like, okay, I want to add, um, monitoring, monitoring and, uh, logging to my application. Like, is it more than just clicking two buttons? You know, those are the types of questions I would ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess it, it depends on what you're, what you're really valuing there. If it's like time and convenience versus money. Yeah. By the way, I love this talk. I'm, I, I know I started with a negative. I, I would definitely go to this talk because uh, I would be spending, you know, a lot less money and I wouldn't like to know about the convenience and, and the ease, ease of what I want to talk about, or and maybe it's too much stuff for a talk. I guess I didn't look to see what the RubyConf talk slots are like for this one, um, like lengthwise, because ideally, I think there are a couple different things people are kind of going to want to know. And maybe these are things that I only care about because I've deployed Ruby apps for a lot, like for a while now and worked on the intricacies of making sure deployments are good and you don't have to sweat it and like it just rolls out like a charm. Mm -hmm. But you basically, you want to know a little bit about like the performance that you're getting out of things is good to know. Uh, and then like the ease of doing the deployments, but that comes with like other things that a lot of people don't even consider, like, uh, the concept of a rolling restart or, or getting your out zero downtime deployments as a thing. I'm like, is that for a talk like this, if I'm my target audience is somebody who deploys to Heroku is the idea of a zero downtime deployment too far from like or rolling your own zero downtime deployment too far from that particular ease factor of pushing uh, your Git repository up to a thing. And then magically, eventually it gets deployed. Well, the, yeah, th that's important to me because not only deployment, but I don't know how many people know this, but Heroku restarts your app once a day, <laughs> no matter what you do. Yeah. Which is a problem too. It's a definite problem, especially with Tatsu. Like that brings down every single bot once a day, every day. Yeah. And the the time is random. You can't control when they do that. 
the fact that they do that is kind of like a hack to me. Like, why do you need to restart everybody's apps? Is the do they do that for the sake of like if somebody has a memory leak, they just shut it down so it frees up memory or what's it? I don't know why. I I, I read about this before and I, you know, there's there's information out there about why, but um, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's based on what your app does i think it's something with their um with their architecture and their environment gotcha um, yeah so i'm i'm really just not sure where i want to go with that because i think on the basic level when you're deploying like a ruby app and you you can still just do something like a capistrano right where it's just like hey i just want to run this command and it's going to push my application to a server over like ssh and get it running mm-hmm so you have that as a thing or then you can move into like containerized applications which i think are actually pretty awesome. I love Docker. Uh, you're not a big fan um, from what I remember, but I'm not a big fan um, of doing it locally. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, my big, the big reason that I've been a fan of that for quite a while uh, is that you get dev prod parity out of the box. Like you're never deploying your application on a Mac. So why yeah, do you but run the it number on a Mac of, locally? Right. But the number of times that that has bitten me, uh, I can count on one hand. And it's usually something to do with, it's more likely to do with um, a configuration issue or, you know, something that wasn't. Yeah, it's, right yeah, that's mind. exactly it. It's, it'd be like a de- configuration issue or a dependency um, installing some sort of like mm-hmm. a C extension kind of, kind of issue. Uh, but they're, they're net wins with that stuff. And then that gets you into kind of the rolling restart uh, sort of things using some, some different tools and, and like how this can all tie into, you can tell I've been working in like DevOps land for a long time now. That's the other, that's the other thing uh, that I like about you doing this talk is like, you're obviously a, an expert on this stuff. Cause you, you do it, you deal with it, you know, pretty much every day when you're, you know, teaching others about it. So that's why I like about this. And the other reason I like this talk too is because nobody's talking about this stuff anymore. Like it seems like the whole Ruby industry has like said, okay, Heroku is our thing and, and that's what we're going to use. And, and just, that's the default. Which is really funny to me. Yeah. Because I don't think like you look at the big, you know, the most successful Ruby applications, they don't use Heroku. Like I can guarantee you they don't. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're talking like huge uh, things where they have different like yeah. engineering yeah. departments for, for these things. But yeah. I think for the, the benefits for once you get past the initial convenience hurdle, um, because it, like it honestly is probably a little bit. Do you have like automated hooks to deploy to Heroku from like GitLab or whatever or GitHub when you merge pull requests and stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, you do. Good. Mm-hmm at the end of the day, the convenience of like pushing Git to do a thing kind of doesn't even exist unless you're doing it locally because it, it would be part of your CI setup anyway, right? Like whether it has to run three commands to deploy a thing or it has to run Git push to deploy a thing, like you still, it's still equally convenient after the initial setup. And that initial setup doesn't have to be as complicated or as tricky as I think a lot of people make it out to be. And then once you get it figured out once, you can kind of use it for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I would, um, I, I like, I like the idea of the talk, but I would definitely go towards more of the, also, uh, with the Git, uh, but the Git, the Git stuff is just a hook. It's not like you can't set that up yourself if you, if you wanted to have that. Right. Like especially with yeah. like GitHub actions and stuff. It doesn't. Yeah. Seem well, like- that's the thing is I wouldn't probably do it with a Git 
push most of the time anymore. Mm-hmm. Like norm because you would use a different tool. Normally Git's Git's not really the right tool for the job in the sense that Git doesn't run the application. Like it doesn't initialize the chain of things that have to happen in order to go from an application that is running, getting a new version of the application running, and then swapping over traffic from one to the other. Mm-hmm. The Git isn't the thing that actually handles that behind the scenes. And you kind of have to learn those things in order to move off of Heroku. But the the things that are there are not that complicated either. Like Capistrano is the the normal one, or at least it was the last time I used it for something that I wasn't containerizing. But it, you know, it has the steps in there of like, okay, when when I push or when I run this command, I want you to, you know, do this, do this, do this, which is basically like, you know, send a signal to the application to stop accepting new traffic, um, start sending traffic to this new version of the application and um, drain out the old stuff and then you're good to go. But that's like one config file that you can kind of set up one time. So it's really not not a whole lot different than having like a foreman file on your uh, in your mm-hmm. Heroku based app. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm okay, cool. Like that's a good angle. Focus on convenience, not assuming people are afraid to deploy their own stuff. Now the bad thing is while you were talking, I looked up um, the RubyConf uh, Australia stuff to see how mm-hmm. long the talks are. And yeah. they don't, in their paper call, they don't specify it, which is bad on their part. But they do have the previous years uh, mm-hmm. listed. And so I went and, and looked at some, and they seem to be all 25 minutes long. <laughs> oh, boy. Not, yeah. That is not ideal for this talk. <laughs> no, it's not. You know what? Maybe I'll I'll still write it and submit yeah. it there, but yeah. uh, just on the assumption that odds are it'll probably get rejected. But if it Dude, does get Australia. accepted, then I then I have to be um, concise about it, which is nice, and that's a good constraint to have sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm also going to submit to this um, just because it's Australia, mm-hmm. but I've kind of run out of like Ruby talks. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. you, you've been trying to do a lot more Elixir, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So most of my work is in Elixir. Most of my new work, so Elixir nice. and React Native and JavaScript. So anyway, do you have any talk ideas that you're kicking around? Yeah, I've got a new one um, that's kind of based on the stuff we've been doing with Chronic. I have one called Three Apps, One Code Base, mm. which nice. talks about using React Native with React Native Web and kind of what the t- tricks and tips are there, so that you can use the same components across different platforms. Yeah, and that, truly, that sounds truly, good. Yeah. Um, I got rejected. So speaking of getting rejected, I got rejected from a few conferences. I started doing, submitting this like late this year and not, not, none of them got accepted. And one of the feedback was, one feedback, I think it was from ReactConf, was like, we've used React Web before in production applications and it's just not possible to have <laughs> to have this work in a production application. I was like, I've done two, uh, two production applications wow. with this and it's worked. So it might not have been ReactConf, uh, so I don't want to like call them out, but. I assume, I'm going to assume you're paraphrasing that, but if somebody's like, it's just not possible, I'm like, how arrogant is that person? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, no, it, it's, I, I have the, I have the quote right here, but uh, I'll, I'll find it. Um, but the, the problem that I have with like, that I do with, conference talks is the actual abstraction is uh, it, sometimes it's my first draft. Mm-hmm. And then I, and sometimes I never go back and update it. 
Mm-hmm. Like once it starts getting accepted, I'm like, oh, this is good. But I think your conference talks, especially as you do them, should probably evolve and up and and update as you learn new things. Especially like after you get done writing your first talk, like the first time you write it, mm-hmm. it doesn't turn out the way that your abstract is like hardly ever. That that's that's a good idea. That's something that I'm gonna start doing is just updating it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because um, honestly, like I think about it and I'm like, I've realistically been accepted to speak at one conference ever. And that was giving the two talks at Beer City Code, which was kind of a funny jump to have zero talks ever given at a, at a real conference to giving two in the same day. But, yeah, you haven't really ex- uh, submitted to a lot that I know about. Uh, maybe, I've maybe. submitted to a fair number of like Elixir conferences and. Yeah, Elixir is um, hard, man. Elixir conferences. Yeah, well, especially because, I mean. I bet my lack of confidence shows in my abstract. Mm. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, and even then I think I submitted to Elixir conferences, uh, with like doing soft talks too, because I was like, I don't think I have the Elixir chops right now, but I would really like to get in with the community. And so maybe I'll see if I can get a, an unrelated sort of talk. Like I wrote a talk about like teaching your team, like leveling up your team, mm-hmm. uh, as a person who, you know, I'm, I'm an educator now. Like this is what I do is I teach people how to, mm-hmm. how to do things. And there's so much stuff that people don't understand about the learning process or what it really takes to um, mentor junior developers or really teach people new skills. They assume it's like, oh, you just go watch a video or whatever. And that's like never actually the way you're going to learn it. And so I was like, oh, OK, I'll write a I'll write a talk about this to kind of give like my tips as a person who like teaches thousands of people remotely and but interacts with students um, on a one-on-one basis pretty frequently too what it's like to to actually go about teaching and like never got that one accepted which i was like that's one i was pretty confident in how i had written it and i'm just like i can't believe this is not actually something somebody like any conference is interested in because this is a very valuable thing which seems odd to me yeah man it's just uh it's it's just like who you're submitting it to who's looking at it it's just kind of a, there's a lot of luck involved so I would just keep submitting that talk as well, because that talk sounds amazing as well. The feedback I got from that, the, my three apps, one code base talk was, it was not selected because it's considered an introductory talk, which again, is not the case because this is like not something I read on the internet and like, and showing <laughs> in some demos. And then they go on to say, also, we haven't seen many real-life projects where such an approach works with the exception of some very specific use cases. So that to me just says like my whole abstract is just is pretty much off. Like they're, for some reason, they're thinking it's introductory and I can't talk to their real life. But I do in my abstract talk about how I've done it in real-life production applications. So mm-hmm. it, just, it just speaks to like the abstract is off. Um, yeah. The other thing I found useful is is putting my abstracts on, like I use gists um, uh-huh. on GitHub, and that way it's an easy way to share it. Um, it's an easy thing to bring up when you're like submitting to these talks. You can just bring up your abstract, cut and copy and paste in there and stuff like that. Um, so I, I like putting those on, on gist and then, and then sending those around to people. And you can have revisions and things like that, so... All right. Well, yeah, I don't want to take up too much time, but this was a great just off the cuff conversation here. Thanks for giving me feedback on uh, the talk idea that I have. Uh, that'll that'll help out. And I'll send you over the uh, the abstract once I actually awesome. write it and you can give, critique me a little bit if you want. But Awesome, man. All right. Well, 
talk to you later, dude. All right. See ya.